Nature Revisited, the podcast. My name is Stefan Van Norden, and on this episode, we have Jeffrey Ryan sharing his ode to an old pine. Jeffrey has been featured before on Nature Revisited. First was the making of the Appalachian Trail, and more recently, this land was saved for you and me. Recently, Jeffrey sent me an article he had written called The Forest and the Tree about a relationship he has had with a pine tree that goes back to his youth. I asked Jeffrey if he would expand on this article and share with Nature Revisited just what makes that relationship so important. But first, a word from our sponsors, Prairie Restorations from Princeton, Minnesota. Prairie Restorations is excited to sponsor today's episode of Nature Revisited. Founded in 1977 as one of the first native garden centers in the country, Prairie Restorations has grown and expanded the diversity of our native plants and services. Our mission is to produce and provide the most ecologically appropriate seeds, plants, products, and services to restore and manage native plant communities. Shop our online garden center and receive 10% off your order when you use promo code Nature Revisited. Be the change. Be a native gardener and help restore critical native habitat. Visit prairieresto.com to shop the highest quality native seeds and plants. That's prairieresto.com. Again, that's prairieresto.com. Now back to your show. Herman Hess once wrote, Trees are sanctuaries. On March 15th, Jeffrey visited the old pine and while sitting in its presence, composed this tribute to an old friend. Ode to an Old Pine by Jeffrey Ryan The Sentinel When I was born, it was already old, ancient really, Six and a half decades later, both of us are still standing tall. This is the story of how a single tree, one with a miraculous life, became one of the greatest influences in mine. The enormous yellow pine near the main coast and I share a trajectory, although my piece of it only makes up about one-fifth of its lifespan. It's not often we can experience a living piece of history to place our hands on a tree that took root nearly 50 years before the Revolutionary War. To imagine how enormously the world has changed in the 310 years or so it has lived. Most things about the 240 years that preceded my first visit to the Sentinel Pine will always be a mystery, but one thing is certain. It owes much of its stature to the fact that it grew up on a farm. Like many patches of woods in New England, this parcel of land was cleared at one point. 
The stone wall at the base of the sentinel marked the edge of a pasture. Rocks pulled from the fields and stacked with purpose, an enduring testament to growing enough food to get by. In spite of the arduous land clearing taking place around it, the sentinel pine was spared the axe, likely because it wasn't in the way. And man, did that tree thrive. With plenty of sunlight and little competition from others, it grew impressively in both girth and height. Today, the only remnants of that farm are the stone wall and a cellar hole about a quarter mile away. The fields disappeared decades ago, swallowed up by a succession of goldenrod, poplar, maple, and pines. Yet the sentinel still towers above them all. My Initiation Looking back on it, my introduction to the Sentinel was through a harmonic convergence of proclivity and proximity. My parents provided everything I needed for a love of the outdoors to take root. The early years were punctuated by summer days exploring Maine Islands, where I was allowed to roam the shores as long as I stayed within eyesight. That was just fine by me. There were treasures enough to find razor clamshells, sea glass, tidal pools. But as beautiful as the coast was, I felt a stronger pull toward the woods, particularly the ones that beckoned from beyond the lilac hedge that bordered our yard. When I was 12, my mother called me into the den one afternoon. She pulled a hardcover book from the shelf and handed it to me saying, this is one of the most important books you'll ever read. It was a copy of Walden that she had read in high school. Thoreau's ideas about observing the woods, learning the lessons nature had to teach us, and especially the idea of building a cabin and living in the trees, resonated with my young mind, and I couldn't get enough. I was already drawn to the woods. But now, thanks to Thoreau's own drive to observe and explore, I understood why the forest felt so much like home. The pull of the woods to me was magnetic. When I got off the school bus, I stopped at the house only long enough to toss my books on a chair, change into dungarees, and make a beeline for the forest. There was an old, almost overgrown farm road that followed the old stone wall past two disappearing fields until it abruptly fizzled out. Here is where the farmer, several generations of farmers actually, had turned their hay wagons around and headed home. I stopped here every day, sometimes to sit in the sun and listen to the wind, the birds, the crickets, but always to honor the magnificent tree that towered above me, the sentinel pine. Those woods were the best playground I could possibly have had. I oversaw some of that beautiful tree's growth, while it oversaw all of mine. Every season from grade school through high school, I was out among the pines. I taught myself how to snowshoe and cross-country ski every part of that nature preserve. I learned how to navigate based on the position of the sun, how to read the clouds as predictors of weather. 
One time I was walking through the overgrowing field next to the sentinel pine when I stepped smack in the middle of a yellow jacket nest. By the time I got away, my legs were covered with welts. Instinctively, I ran a few hundred yards away from my family's house and down an embankment where I knew there was a freshwater spring flowing through a mound of marine clay. I slathered gobs of the cold mud on the welts and felt immediate relief. At age 14, my friend Sherwood and I tried to make a fire and cook condensed soup in a clearing near the Sentinel Pine. We reasoned that making soup used the same water to concentrate ratio as the lemonade we would make at home. Believe me, nothing makes a youngster run home for lunch like tasting Campbell's tomato soup made with four cans of water and served lukewarm because the fire kept going out. These hallowed woods gave me the greatest gift of all, one I appreciate every day an abiding confidence in myself and the ability to take things in stride. I didn't know it at the time, but those skills would both save my life and fill it with purpose. Finding My Way After I sauntered across the high school stage to get my diploma, I ran away to Wisconsin to attend college. I told friends and family that I wanted to see what it was like to live in a place where I didn't know a soul because it sounded adventurous. I believed the story myself, but now I know it was really to go to a place where I would be free to drink. In those years, the signs that I was an alcoholic were apparent to everyone, except me. I acted as if I was having fun for those four years but inside I was truly miserable. The saving grace was that I had a conversation on that college campus one night that changed my life. My college friend Mick and I started talking about doing something audacious in the outdoors when we got out of school. The Appalachian Trail was an obvious choice. We were both familiar with the 2100 mile trail that ran from Georgia to Maine. We were also both well-versed in being in the woods and camping by then. We'd even taken trips to the upper peninsula of Michigan and the Smoky Mountains. We agreed that we would do the AT after we both graduated. That December, I went home for the holiday break and spied a 1971 edition of National Geographic. It was from the same set of shelves that once held that copy of Walden my mom had given me. The feature article in the magazine was about a hiking trail that ran from Mexico to Canada called the Pacific Crest Trail. The first thing I did after I returned to Wisconsin was show Mick that magazine. Plans changed in a hurry. The PCT now became our audacious goal. Two years later, we were in full trip planning mode. I moved back in with my parents at their behest to save money and dry food for the trip, most often three shifts a day, for five months. The only rules were that I had to assure my mother that I was hiking from Mexico to Canada because I wanted to, not because I was out to impress people. The second rule was I was never to dry onions in the house again. 
Everyone woke up with onion tears at 3 a.m. one morning. Living at home meant that I had daily contact with the sentinel pine again. Reuniting with those woods, that pine, provided a sense of stability and permanence that helped me reset my dial. After years of running away, I now had something to look forward to, an adventure I was walking into that felt as comfortable and familiar as my beloved patch of forest. On April 1st, 1983, we set foot into Mexico and turned north. On September 21st, we crossed into Canada. Forty years later, the term trip of a lifetime is still an understatement. We walked across deserts, climbed to nearly 11,000 feet, spent a month and a half post-holing our way through thigh-deep snow, and lived a life that was utterly fantastic. Sleeping under the stars, walking through vast landscapes, and learning to take life in stride, I couldn't have asked for more, and I can't imagine being that at home in nature from the get-go without the childhood experiences I had beneath the sentinel pine. Lying in the tent late at night and lacing up my boots in the morning were the times I thought of home the most. Would I even have been out here having the time of my life if my parents hadn't urged me to experience nature's thrall? How many other mothers would turn their dining room into a staging area for food drop boxes to be mailed to post offices for their son and friends to pick up in towns to keep their journey going strong? They say that doing a long distance hike is one of the toughest things you'll ever do. What's tougher still is going back to the world of noise. The mountains, woods, and desert are all largely quiet. Wind, water, and wildlife become the music of your life. Coming back to the sounds of sirens, backup beepers, friolators, and other conveyances are, to coin a phrase, alarming. Once again, the sentinel woods came to my rescue, taking the edge off, allowing me to get my daily dose of sanity even though my parents and I had agreed that I wouldn't be staying with them after I got back from the trail, they gave me a three-week reprieve. Oh, how I enjoyed those October walks in the woods. I'd pack my backpacking stove, walk past the Sentinel, and down to the creek where I'd make soup, the non-watered-down kind this time, and sit just watching the tidal water moving through the marsh grass. After 2,000 plus miles of wandering, I was home again at last. Return of the Native For the three decades following my return from the Pacific Crest Trail, I busied myself with two pursuits, establishing myself as a writer and hiking the Appalachian Trail. Both kept me away from the Sentinel Woods. I hadn't forgotten them, but I never seemed to have the time to visit. Commercial writing took more hours out of me than I should have been happy with. There were always new creative mountains to climb, deadlines to meet, money to be made. But I still carved out enough time to hike the entire Appalachian Trail and then some with my hiking buddy, Wayne. 
Between 1985 and 2013, we traversed the entire trail in sections, in trips ranging from three to 17 days. We took the smorgasbord approach, hiking in Virginia one year, Pennsylvania the next, New Jersey the one after that, and so on, until we patched together all 2,100 miles. Even though I seldom made it to the Sentinel Woods, I continued to draw on the lessons they had for me, notably to enjoy living in the moment and being alone. Even though you are technically hiking with someone over vast distances, you aren't with them all the time. There are long stretches where you are hiking alone. If you don't enjoy your own company, you're in trouble. Thinking about anything or nothing at all while taking a three mile per hour jaunt is one of the most enjoyable activities I can imagine. I've been doing it now for over five decades and there's no sign of it ever getting old. Time marches on. In the 2010s, my relationship with the Sentinel Pine took on an added measure of poignancy. In 2015, my father died at age 92, just short of six decades since he and mom bought and lovingly restored the 1820 farmhouse I grew up in. Three months later, mom was gone too. Of course, there was only one place to go to gain my bearings. I spent many days wandering through the forest where both of my parents, and especially my mom, had encouraged me to discover the joys of nature and to find strength in things that will outlast us all. In the eight years since my parents died, I became a full-time author. Unsurprisingly, what I write most passionately about are my experiences in nature and those who made the wild places so many of us benefit from, in both mind and spirit, possible. I feel enormous gratitude for those who had the foresight to set aside places like the nature preserve where I spent my youth, woods that were the classroom for my life. These days I spend a lot of time in those woods. So many of us can only visit the places of our youth in our minds. The wrecking ball of progress has made it impossible to go back to those childhood haunts. It seems as if nothing ever stays the same anymore. In my case, even the house I grew up in is barely recognizable now. But the Sentinel Pine, the Stone Wall, and Mill Creek are always there to welcome me home. Most comforting of all, they will be there long after my glorious time with them has passed. And every day, whether I get to the woods or not, I experience the gratitude and fulfillment of knowing just that. Not bad for an old man and an even older pine. Thoreau was right. The woods have much to teach us about nature and ourselves. How marvelous that I've had not a year to spend in the woods, but an entire lifetime. And if you're lucky, you'll find an old pine to share its wisdom too.
I hope you enjoyed Jeffrey Ryan's Ode to an Old Pine. Nature Revisited would like to thank Prairie Restorations for sponsoring this episode of the podcast and that you visit them for all your restoration needs and that you will share Nature Revisited with friends, family, and colleagues. You can follow Nature Revisited on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and on our website, nordenproductions.com. That's Norden, N-O-O-R-D-E-N, productions.com. The music for this episode is from Ben Cosgrove's latest album, The Trouble with Wilderness. Nature Revisited is produced by Stefan Van Orden and Charles Gagan. And I hope you will join us for the next edition of Nature Revisited. And in the meantime, remember, we are nature.